What is up, everybody, and welcome into episode 46 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I am feeling way better than last week. I'm Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we have a ton of stuff to get to. We're going to talk about drum notation and the theory behind it. We're also going to talk about why both Mike and I think it's so important for drummers to be able to read. Our featured artist this time is none other than Mr. Yost Nickel, one of my favorite drummers of all time. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out a Bone S series drum set we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started buddy episode 46 how are you doing man we're creeping up towards 50 i know four more weeks so we have to remind people if they want to get their questions into our all question and answer session for number 50 they can send them over to mdinfo at modernjumper.com um, I'll, I'll, again, I'm going to open it up to, to voice, to audio questions, and we're going to see how that works. So hopefully uh, some of you can send some clean audio with your questions, and we'll drop them in. Um, be if awesome. you just want to email them, that's fine as well. well we're, it's not going to be all audio, but it'd be cool to get some, some other voices in the show. Absolutely. It also helps us with tone, you know, especially for the people where English is their second language. I can only assume typing doesn't convey the tone and the vibe they're going for. So. Yeah. Should be good. And, I mean, it'll be a great case study for us because then we can see how that podcast does and be like, wow, 11 people listen to that. Maybe that's not the answer. Or (laughs) vice versa. Like, oh, that was really popular. So I'm I'm looking forward to that for sure, man. So, dude, explain the new cherry snare to me. So what happened here? Okay, so. Because you're not a huge piccolo guy, right? No, I'm not. But I saw, um, I thought it was new, but it actually was like an old clip. It was a clip of the John Mayer trio with, I think Chick Corea was sitting in with them. They were playing on the Seth Meyers show. Um, And the drum sound, it starts with Steve Jordan's groove. And the drum sound is just to die for. And he's playing like a 13-inch Ludwig piccolo, like a vintage Ludwig piccolo. Okay. And it's like the best snare drum sound on earth. So I was just joking around with Bruce Hagwood at, at RBH, like, hey, I'm going to have to get you to build me a 13 now, you know, because of, and right. I sent him the link to that clip. He's like, you know, I can do that. <laughs> I can get you that. Oh. And it just so happened that one of our 40th anniversary drums, the shell didn't turn out right. Okay. The, uh, the 6 by 13 cherry. Right. So he was like, I've got this shell that I'm just going to have to trash, so I could cut it down to a, a 4 by 13 and make you that piccolo. I'm like, um, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, so I just got it, and I just recorded it. Oh, you have it? Yeah. Oh, cool. I just got it, and I just recorded it yesterday. I was doing a demo for some new uh, Turkish cymbals. And I, okay. And it sounds it sounds crazy good. Really? So I might end up being a, a side snare guy now. I might have Look to start taking it on, on gigs. Look at you. I haven't used a side snare since high school. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that'd be weird. It's, it's so weird how we identify people with certain setups, you know? And yeah. Just there's certain things where if you said, yeah, I just added this to my setup, I'd be like, that, that's illegal. Like yeah. anyone else can have it, but you're, you know, you can't have a splash. <laughs> I, I, I veto it, you know, um, or I don't think I've ever seen, I'm sure he does, but I don't, I can't remember seeing Vinny play with a cowbell. Um, oh, wow. Maybe. No, I don't know. I don't I know mean, if I have. I'm sure since, he, no, like, you know the Zappa what, days. I think when he was touring with uh, Chikoria's acoustic trio, he might've had a cowbell. Really? It just seems like such a, a gad thing, you yeah. know, um, and then it'd be like, well, Vinny doesn't use it, you know, or like, I guess it'd be different if I, instead of a cowbell, I'm, I'm maybe I'm thinking like one of those, what is it? The Ridge Rider, like the rock, the, yeah, rock the, 
Calvel Guns from and Roses Calvel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that where if you just hit it, it'd be like, wait, what? I'm sure he could make it musical and everything, but it would be a little odd, man. So, well, yeah. that's cool, buddy. That's cool. Yeah, it's, I'm excited it's for you. super cool. So, I, and I, what I did was I put the video on of Steve Jordan playing, and I just tried to match the tuning that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's a great idea. just along to it and just try to get the pitch. I mean, it's, it's cracking. It's got some power. So. What, what do you have for heads on it? Uh, coated ambassador top and just a regular clear ambassador nice. bottom. Yeah, it's any it's muffling. Awesome. Uh, you know, it sounds good with no muffling, but I put a Vader buzz kill on it and sure. it tightened it up really nice. So it's cool, man. I'm sure it'll be popping up in, in future demo videos for the magazine. That's awesome, man. Very yeah. cool. That's great. Well, um, in industry news, I had a great conversation with Chris Brady over at Aquarian about Steely Dan. <laughs> We do not broach that topic. It never goes well for us. It because we've only talked about it so far on long car rides, and it it gets really weird because it's just like it gets all the way to a agree to disagree point. And I mean, the, Chris is like, dude, that guy signed me when I was twenty years old. Yeah, and I've never left Aquarian since then. And and he was the one guy that just really stuck by me no matter what was going on in my career, whether it be touring with a band or just teaching at a hole-in-the-wall place in the middle of nowhere. He was always there, you know, and, and was always honest. He would say, look, you know, this is how your endorsement will be now in this new stage of your career because obviously you're not doing as much for the company as you were. And it's like, cool, I don't mind that. I, I actually expect my endorsement to go up and down based off of – what I'm doing for the company. Yeah, um, I don't yeah. think of it as like, well, at some point I got to free gear and I should be locked there forever. It's like, well, it should be relative to what I'm doing. Um, he was always honest with me. But anyways, we talked yesterday and I said, look, man, I know what you make. I, I understand the heads. I know the small goods. But I am I think it's a little confusing right now for the general public. What is Aquarian as a company? And so we just talked about it for a long time, and he's, he's just such a great guy and so open to outside opinion. And so I'm actually going to go down there to Aquarian, and we're just going to sit in a room with myself, Roy Burns, Ron Marquez, Chris Brady, and just kind of hash out like, hey, you're a really small company, and small companies sometimes only see things from their own perspective, and they forget what the world is seeing. So even if you're in your company and you know – this is what Modern Drummer does. This is what Modern Drummer is all about. Unless you're putting that message out, no one else knows it. It's yeah, it's only true. inside your walls. And I said, look, maybe you guys know what your direction is with are you a drumhead company, are you a small goods company? But if you're not putting out that message, then no one else knows. So um, – so yeah, so and and honestly, even as an artist, I want to know like what is the focus of Aquarian right now? Are you a competitor, um, a main competitor of Evans and Remo, or are you a competitor of something like Big Bang, where you're more of a small goods company? Yeah. Um, so I, it was a really good, you know, honest kind of talk, and it was like I think it ended in a place where where I'm I'm excited. Like I want to find out like what is the focus moving forward with Aquarium because it's such a beautiful company. They make they make fantastic product obviously, but um but I also think they, you know, I think all companies right now really need to figure out not just what you do, but are you getting that message across to the consumer so they know what you do. Yeah. You know? I mean, for it's, it's interesting. I think when I think of Aquarium, I think of the Super Kick. Like right. just like when I think of DW, I think of the five thousand pedal. When I think of Remo, I think of Coded Ambassador. It's like Aquarian is super kick. That's yeah, it, exactly. That has to be their number one selling item. It, it it it's definitely their number one selling item, and that's where I've been 
confused. I try really hard not to be too close to the situation. And I think from a consumer's point of view, it's like, well, if you're not telling me about the super kick, does that mean that you guys don't think it's important anymore? Do you yeah. just think it's going to sell on its own? So, and, you know, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a broad thing now, as far as how do you tell people about this? Obviously there's print ads, you know, you have to do your print ads in magazines, but then after that, it's like, well, what are your, what are your number one artists talking about? Are they talking about the recipe that they're using for their drum heads or, you know, what's going on? And I, I, I definitely want to be a part of that message for them. Cause I'm very proud of the product that I play. Uh, I, I, to be a hundred percent transparent, I think that Remo and Evans and Aquarian all make fantastic products. So I don't think I think, but I do think they all have different flavors. Yeah, I've discussed in the past why I like Aquarian and, and what they do for me as far as my sound. But but I don't, I definitely don't see it as like I like Aquarian and Remo sucks. Yeah. I actually every time I play a kit with Remo heads, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like I forgot what these sound like because I haven't played yeah. them in so long. So anyway, so yeah, that was it was it was really cool. So we talked about that and sweet. Yeah, man. So you got all right. another camp coming up. I do. I've got a camp starting on Saturday, and I'm so excited to have my full energy. I'm going to need it. This is my first advanced camp of the year, and I went really far out of my way this year to make sure that the advanced camp curriculum was actually the stuff that I'm currently working on myself so that we could kind of go on this journey of like, okay, for one week, we are all working on the same material together. I'm oh, practicing cool. with you guys. Um, I have all of this stuff down well enough to teach it, but I don't have it down to the point that I've flushed it out like I would for a clinic topic. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited to be like, look, this is where I'm at with stuff and I'm, I want to go on this journey with you guys. So I look at it as more of like a six day lab instead of a six day camp. That's got to provide good fuel for clinics and stuff. You get to really experiment and try stuff out and hear other people's input on the same topics. Absolutely. Cause definitely the clinic thing in the last couple of years, the things that I thought would be the crowd killers, this is going to go over so well, went over okay. And the things that were my filler and I didn't really care about it at all became the crowd favorites. And it was like, just like you're drumming. You know, when you play a solo in the moment, you know what killed. And then when you listen back, everything you thought that killed was just kind of self-indulgent fluff. And then the fluff that got you to the cool parts in your mind was actually the cooler, more melodic stuff that was more enjoyable for the crowd. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And then we just, out of nowhere, a bunch of new international dates showed up. So we booked a, I think I'm doing a drum festival coming up, or not coming up, but uh, early next year in Mexico City. Nice. So I've never been there. I get to go do some touristy stuff there. And then uh, I've got the camp coming up with Mark, Juliana, and Sput again in Ireland. Yeah. So that's coming up. We are in the process of booking a three-day camp in Singapore and oh, right. I'm really excited about that because everyone I've ever met from Singapore, I mean, these are like just the kindest, most appreciative human beings I've ever met. And I've always said if we, if there's a way I can get there, if there's a way I could do something there, I'm happy to do it. And it's starting to work out. Um, and I don't really like doing camps or even clinics really in countries that don't speak English because it it's really hard to do my job with a translator. It really steals the feel of what's going on. Uh, not to mention, I'm not a Thomas Lang. I'm not a Virgil Donati. I can't just go out there and rip a solo for 40 minutes and entertain a crowd like yeah. that. I really like to teach. And everyone I've ever met from Singapore speaks better English than I do, and they don't even have accents. I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> God, you guys are some educated human beings. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. And then since I've never been to Singapore, I think what we'll do is on the last day of the camp, 
I'm hoping that we'll be able to find a location where we can open up a clinic to the public. So awesome. that even if you can't get into the camp, that we'll do that. So, yeah, and then uh, this camp coming up is my fourth camp, so I have six more camps here. Um, and then we're getting ready to – we're starting to schedule the uh, Common Thread Camp in New York. We're going to do that one again. So, Man, do not stop. You, no, no, cannot slow down. <laughs> There's no no flu or no passing out and smashing my face into the tile floor that will slow me down. Uh, All no right, comment. let's get into some education. So I wanted to talk about um, – Especially for those of you out there that really struggle with reading. I mean, I think that's a very common thing to have a drummer that can really play their butt off and has maybe played their entire life for decades, but yet can't read. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about notation in a way that we can via audio, meaning it's very hard to talk about notation and teach you how to read without showing you the notes. But there are some things that you should know, and, and even just the names of the shapes that you're seeing. Uh, beams, stems, time signature, what are these things and what do they do? Do they actually have a purpose? And they do. Uh, When you see the dot that is actual the note, that is the note head. And depending on whether it's filled in or whether it's hollow, that can change the duration of the note. And so there's the note head. And then the, the line that's coming up vertically from that note head, that's the stem. And on that stem, you can have a flag or you could beam that to another note. And those flags and those beams, those change the speed of the notes in succession. And then at the beginning of a piece, you've probably seen numbers, and that's the time signature. And that actually tells you a lot. So when you were learning notation for the first time, did you have a teacher that really broke this stuff down? Or did they just kind of point to it and say, these are quarter notes, these are eighth notes? Well, I guess in just regular general music class in elementary school, they kind of taught us the basics of this, which would have been the pyramid of the whole notes and half notes and quarter notes and eighth notes. Um, When I got to fifth grade band, um, we just started going through a method book. So it was was still kind of – it was spelled out very logically. So I think the first couple chapters were all quarter notes and quarter note rests and then then it added eighth notes and then triplets. So it kind of progressed through that pyramid. Um, I just kind of understood it. I don't know why. I just understood it logically. The math of it, of dividing notes in half and having it be twice as fast, um, it just made sense to me. And I figured out drum set notation just on my own just by looking at the key when I saw that this note is a hi-hat, this note is a snare drum. So I just kind of figured it out. Right. Uh, And, I mean, did you know that these things – did you know the proper terms? Like if somebody said – the stem, the beam, the note head, or did that come later when you were like, okay, I know how to do this, but I don't actually know what any of this is called? I think it was all taught in elementary school. Okay. I think. I mean, I sure. don't remember ever being confused with, with music notation. I, I I don't know. It just connected with me. I was, it, it you lucky sense. bird. You <laughs> just lucky little lucky. bird. <laughs> I mean, it's probably because I was, I, I was pretty good at math, and it just made sense. It was like fractions and a yeah, it all kind of it's actually sense. silly how simple notation is once it's it's to me it's a lot like riding a bike like until you can do it it's impossible the second you can do it you can't even fathom how you weren't able to do it before yeah um you know if you tried to teach me how to stop being able to ride a bike you just couldn't i can't <laughs> yeah i would unlearn that <laughs> exactly and notation is very similar like And that's what's so difficult for drum instructors is a lot of times they can't remember their life before understanding it. So when they're looking at it, it's making so much sense. And they're just telling the student, 
it's just that those are twice as fast but the student yeah. is looking at hieroglyphics going why would that be twice as fast <laughs> yeah. and you have to understand that each beam out there guys a beam doubles the speed so if i have two notes and they're connected by one line that's called a beam those in four four time would be eighth notes so if you have no beam and then and the note heads are filled in you have quarter notes as soon as you beam those two quarter notes together that doubles the speed so they go from being quarter notes to being eighth notes now, if you add another beam, then they become 16th notes. Now they're twice as fast again. Add a third beam, now they're twice as fast again, and they're 32nd notes. And you add a fourth beam, and they become 64th notes. And that's even even that stuff that we just said, there's so much misinformation there, too, because somebody – I remember being kind of a teenager, and somebody say, man, I heard this dude could play 64th notes. And I'm like, that's impossible. <laughs> and then I realized, wait a minute. Couldn't you just move the tempo down to 30 and then I could yeah. play 128th notes? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. just how many notes you can fit per pulse. So if you slow the tempo down, you know, I think that's probably like maybe a Zorro clinic thing where they would play, Zorro would play something on his hi hats and ask the crowd, you know, all right, what is this? But with no accents. And the crowd would go, 16th notes. And he's like, not until I give you a pulse. It's nothing, it's just yeah. notes. As soon as it's related to a pulse, then we can decide if it was three notes per pulse, it's eighth note triplets, and so on and so forth. I mean, for, for myself, and I, I definitely want to find out how you feel about this, the reason I push reading on my students so heavily is not because I, I think that it's some rite of passage or that it's necessary or that they're going to have to sight read ever in their life. It's not that. The reason I push reading on them so heavily is because it is such a beautiful luxury to walk into a music store, see a book written on a subject you wish you knew more about, and just because you've figured out the the code and you know how to read music, you can buy the book and you can get all, all the information you want is sitting inside those pages and being able to read allows you to access that information. So mm-hmm. yeah. I want my Blink-182 fans, students, to be able to walk into a music store and see drum notation, Blink-182, and they're like, so all of Travis's secrets are in that book? It's like, yep, yeah, all you have yeah. to do is read it. It's right there. And that's I just think that's a great thing. I mean, do you push reading on your students? I don't push it too much, um, not for the sake of just being able to read a transcription. I I emphasize reading for the for me reading allows you to go beyond your current level of comprehension. So if if you can only play one version of a half note shuffle or a half uh, half half-time time shuffle, shuffle. but half note shuffle would be a half note shuffle <laughs> take a while if, to get through. <laughs> if you can only play one version of that, well, if you know how to read, you can write that out and you can say, well, what would happen if I move the bass drum over two right. notes or over three notes? So. Yep. Even though intellectually or even though physically you can't do it, intellectually you can see all the possible variations on a page. And then it gives you something to work towards and then you're going to discover new sounds. So for me, writing is is more of a creative uh, inspiration. It kind of – it thrusts you to a new level, whereas you're not waiting for your body to catch up. Your mind can can already be exploring things that your body won't be able to touch for like three or four years. You can start messing with polyrhythms, things that you just physically can't do, but you can – as soon as you can intellectualize them, then now you have a goal and you know it can be achievable. So you see it on paper. Yeah. It's like, I know I can do it. And it's a way to communicate. I mean, I love when I'm done with a clinic and somebody comes up and asks me to sign their snare head. And they say, hey, what was that thing that you did? You know, And, and if, if, if I remember what they're talking about, I love that I can just take a Sharpie and write it out on their snare head yeah. and say, here's the idea that you asked about. And it's a, it's a form of communication, especially as an educator. If I have a one-hour lesson with you and I'm going to give you an hour of information 
but you can't read a single note, how in the hell are you going to remember what to practice when you go home? Yeah, true. I mean, Pete Magadini, you know, we had two-hour lessons sometimes, and I had a two-hour drive home. How would I have remembered anything he taught me after a two-hour drive home? It would have all flushed itself out, and I would have maybe grabbed a hold of one thing. Like, I think he wanted me to work on this thing. But by pulling out my folder and seeing the sheets that he gave me, it was very clear I have to do this and I have to grow this. And just like you said, now that I can see it, I can say, well, what if I moved that bass drum over one sixteenth note every beat? And what variation would that give me? So I think reading is actually pretty important to your own growth and to being able to communicate with other people. And I'm sure you've been in these situations, Mike. Knowing a little bit of music theory, especially rhythmic theory, allows you to communicate with the other musicians that you're working with. Um, yeah, absolutely. It really feels crappy when the other people that you're playing with that don't play drums are more rhythmically advanced with theory than you are. And they say, just come in on the E of three and you don't know what that means. Yeah, you that's, know, true. that's That sucks. It's, a, it's great to have this common language of like, oh, I keep missing that hit. Where is it? Oh, it's on the of two. Perfect. I'll never miss it again. I know yeah. exactly where it falls now because my ear wasn't able to hear it with everything else that was going on. So yeah, yeah. The biggest thing for reading for me these days is when I get called to do fill-in gigs. I can just listen to the song once, chart it out with some basic, you know, notate the groove correctly, and then just chart out the form. Right. And I don't have to. I only have to listen to the song once. Whereas if I didn't know how to read, I'd have to like memorize the whole song, and it would the process of preparation would be so much longer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you can read, you can write, you know. Yeah. Um, I just write it out, just listen to it once, get the the BPM, notate the groove, notate the form, and then I'm good for the gig, which if I couldn't read, there's that just wouldn't be an option. I wouldn't be able to take those gigs. And that's probably half of my work these days is like, hey, I need need somebody on Friday. Can you do it? And here's 35 songs. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, I can't learn 35 songs by memory, but I can listen to 35 songs and write out verse groove, chorus groove, and some yep. general notes. And then those those grooves, because you can read, those grooves trigger the memory of the song. As soon as I see that verse groove, then I'm like, oh, got it. I know what song this is yeah, now. Because yeah. the song name didn't trigger anything for me, especially if they're all originals. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, okay, your your names mean nothing to me. So I had, the groove is going to trigger the sound and the melody in my head. So, Do you have a preference cool. for how the notation is written as far as the symbol no- symbols notation being up versus down? Do you like it split? Do you like it all go one direction? I had never seen it all connected until um, – uh, what's that book? It's got the crazy cover um, with like – it's like Christopher Columbus playing a drum set with oh, the dragon. Funky primer. The funky primer. That's the first time I ever saw the notation connected. I had always read the bass drum as its own instrument and the hands where they were connected. So feet stems down, hands stems up. Yep. That's how I had that's how I learned. And then when I saw the funky primer, I started teaching out of it before I even saw it as a student. Just somebody said, Hey, if you want some cool I think actually maybe even a student brought it in and say, I'm working on this with my previous teacher. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a cool book. And I started teaching out of it. And the students were learning so much faster because they didn't have to keep track of two, pretty much two pieces of music. It was all Uh, one piece of music. And I was like, whoa, I've never written anything like this. I always write the bass drum going down. And honestly, that was easier for me because it was kind of like, okay, the kick is doing doom, 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 doom. Got it. Now I have to keep that going while I figure out this hand pattern. But... Mm -hmm. 
I saw a lot of people see it as one composite thing and they just learned a lot faster. So most of the stuff that I write now is actually written like that where it's the drum set is one instrument and so it's all, all the connected. all the uh, stems go up. Yep, exactly. Oh, yeah. Interesting. But yeah. I also still when I have private students, I I'll grab something like um uh Basic drumming by Joel Rothman. All of his bass drum stems go down, yeah. And I'll teach them a few grooves out of that, just so it's like, hey, just so you know, I don't get to choose how you're going to see this in the next book you buy, so you better be ready for both of these, um, yeah, and be able to handle it. But yeah, I, I, I prefer kind of writing them. It really, I guess, it just depends. I when I do multi-foot ostinato stuff, if I'm doing like a bio with the feet, then actually the bass isn't connected at all because it gets so congested in there. Yeah. The, so the kick and the hi hat stems go down, and then the ride cymbal and the snare drum stems go up. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It's kind of <clears throat> it's kind of mixed. Up. I mean, here at the magazine, we always have to figure out what's the most clear way to notate stuff. So it kind of changes depending on on the concept. So if I think like, that's what it, exactly. Yeah. So if like having the rule of the feet stems down and the hands stemmed up seems like it would work, but what happens when the snare drum is interacting with the bass drum? It's more logical to have the snare drum actually stems going down, and have and if the ride cymbal is just playing an ostinato, maybe that is the one thing that stems up. So, it's all different. And I was working on a book with Steve Smith years ago, and he actually wanted everything separate, which was so difficult for what? me to, to comprehend. You mean so, even the, so, each instrument was its own instrument on the notation. On the yeah, so all, so the, the the right hand had its own was separate from the left hand, which oh. was separate from the bass drum, which was separate from the left foot, and it was. I found it really confusing, but that's just the way he wanted to see it. He wanted to see each limb as its own. Well, that's that's how our, our Groove Freedom app is. Is It's kind of like, here's the composite groove. Now let's separate all four limbs so you can see what each thing is doing individually. But I would never display it that way first. That's always, here's the groove. And then, and I mean, if you think about like some of like the linear grooves that you and I play, let's say a 16th note triplet-based linear groove. Do you know how many 16th note triplet rests and yeah. dotted rests there would be on the bass drum line if they weren't connected? Yeah, definitely. There's so much theory in, in <laughs> that. And, uh, and that's something to teach students, too, is like, hey, there is no such thing as space. It's either taken up by a rest or a, a note. So if you have one note on the E of one, you're going to need a 16th note rest on the downbeat of one. Then you can have, say, depending on what you want to do, you could have a dotted eighth note on the E of one, which will take you through all of beat one. But then you're going to need a quarter note rest on two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to need a dotted half note rest. It's like there's so much theory in rests, too. Yeah. yeah okay, so I'm, I'm actually talking myself out of it. Don't <laughs> read, people. Reading is stupid. School's for fools. C's get degrees. Let's move on to our featured artist. C's get degrees. <laughs> Hey, I can laugh without coughing. This is awesome. Oh man, uh, that's. I think that that would be the, a great thing if if some of our younger podcast listeners just went to their mom and said, "Mom, Mike said that schools for fools, C's get degrees. I'm out. Peace." Um, I tried way too hard in school, man. Just think of all the goofing off I could have done, dude. <laughs> you and I could have been way better friends back in the day if you would have just understood that. Look, no matter what happens, I'm going to make my own destiny. <laughs> I don't need an A in calculus. I just need to get an A in school band and weight training. Okay, so our first, our featured artist today is Yost Nickel. Yost is, without a doubt, one of my favorite drummers of all time. 
he's just a kind human being. He's he's one of those people where you know when you're not supposed to meet your idols because they might let you down. He would never let you down. He would only improve your thought of him as a person. He has honestly one of the biggest gigs in all of Europe with Yandelay and Disco Number no. One. But since primarily most of their lyrics are in German, they play to German crowds. So mm. in Germany, the dude is he is the Travis Barker of Germany. When you're over there. Really? People lose their oh my gosh yes like like get the dude security so he can get on the plane <laughs> type stuff he's actually awesome. quite famous in Germany and um, I mean it's very very much so I guess like actually yeah Travis Barker is a good representation uh, you know their band is extremely popular in Germany so uh, he's recognized by people that don't play drum set. Um, wow. And Good for it's him. a very big gig. Uh, so, yeah, check out – just go to YouTube and check out Yandelay and Disco Number 1 and you'll see – I mean you'll, you'll freak because you'll be like, uh, is that a soccer stadium full <laughs> oh, wow. and sold out? And it's like, uh-huh, yep. And Yoast is killing it, you know, just playing the greatest pop and funk grooves ever. So have you ever met Yoast? Yeah, I met him at uh, NAMM show a couple of years ago when he was there. Uh, okay. You know, he's, he's, he's so mild-mannered and polite yes. that – he could easily just be overlooked as just someone who's at Nam, but I had I had heard of him and, and seen some of his stuff online, so I was aware of him already. But we immediately, you know, he's he's been writing for us now, so that that conversation yeah. sparked him like to write some columns for us. So I think he's got five of them coming out this year. We're on part four. We just finished. Yeah, I just saw his linear video that he did for your article, and yeah. his playing is so clean and yeah, so, so well clean. thought out, man. Did you get to see him perform at Nam when he kind of did the sonar booth thing? No, I didn't. Uh, I mean, that's I haven't, I haven't seen oh, go him ahead. live. I've only seen him on video, so I need to see him live. That is such a nightmare opportunity because you know uh, Chris Coleman did it uh, for so long. Oh, right. JoJo yeah. Mayer's done it. I mean. That that to me that'd be the most nerve wracking call. Like, hey, we want you to do the sonar thing at Nam. It's like, oh, I'd rather not because it's just <laughs> all the greatest drummers in the world are standing around you with their arms folded. Exactly, just yeah, man, impress me. <laughs> yeah, and there's no miking. There's no. It's like, dude, you're at a a convention, <laughs> and and your hands are freezing because that AC is blowing on you all day. And he just came out. And Yost is one of those guys that he kind of lulls you into this sense of false security. Like, oh, this guy. T- I could do all of that. And then he just grabs a full handful of throttle on his motorcycle and just rips your face off. And it's like, wait, that dude? Like, <laughs> no way. And we brought Yost in here. You know, I we try really hard to kind of do, uh, I want to say this as tastefully as possible, but we try to do kind of the opposite of Drumeo. So Drumeo is very good at bringing you some of the greatest drummers in the world, and they bring them to the public and that's and they're kind of saying, "Hey, here's this drummer, public check it out." Well, what we did back in the day was it was kind of the opposite. We would bring in people like Yost, and I would say, "Look, I already have a, a pretty decent following. I have a lot of students, but unfortunately, I don't think enough people know about you. So I'm going to bring you in, and I'm not publicizing this to the public. I want my students to know about you. I want yeah. them to know that you exist." And so we brought Yost in like in 2012. And I'll send you the video. Maybe we can even link to this video. Yost came in and just uh, – and the way I do it is I'm not hosting this thing. When I, when we have a guest here, it's like, hey, you're you're in charge. It's your day. You just take over Mike's lessons. So we brought Yost in and actually credit to Meinl. They paid for everything and he played a drum solo. And at the time, it was like 
that was fantastic. It was a great drum solo. Well, about six months later, a video goes up on YouTube of a composer who wrote an entire song to the drum solo on guitar because the solo was so melodic and in such perfect time that he wrote a whole song to this improvised drum solo. And That's it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's so incredible that this dude's drum solo is so song-like that somebody could write a song to it. And it's, I mean, the solo is not a groove solo. It's not like some Steve Jordan pocket thing. It's full of chops. But even the chops have melody that yeah. this guitar player must have thought, like, I, I have to write something to that. It's, it's really cool. cool. So that yeah. was in 2012. So I've been a huge fan of Yost. And Yost should be credited. He's one of the biggest reasons that I'm a minor artist. He was the one doing all of the minor demo videos when Benny kind of Benny and I spent time together Benny said look man you should at least check it out I went to Meinl's website and most of the videos were either Felix Lehrman or Yost Nickel and I was like who the hell is this guy this is mm. this is who I want to be when I grow up yeah. I mean that's the style of drumming I want to have I even wrote to Aquarian to Chris Brady and said what is the head combination Yost Nickel is using because he's an Aquarian artist and I'm like that's how I want my drums to sound <laughs> oh wow so. cool I mean, he has a his sound is ridiculous. It's almost to me, it sounds almost like he's got triggers on everything. He's so consistent, right. and, and his sound is so pure and perfect. It's pretty awesome. It's, I can tell you a lot of it has to do with him because when he was here, I was playing his kit, and it sure didn't sound like that when I played it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely uh, you know, and I mean, he had like a I don't know, maybe a nine hundred dollars sonar kit that they just shipped out just you know for the day. Yeah. And so the guy is just incredible. He's he's an absolute sweetheart. So definitely, if you guys get a chance, check out Yost Nickel. You'll be really impressed. Especially, you'll see there's so much history in the things that we kind of fawn over in the YouTube world. You need to know that Yost really brought that to a lot of people. So I'm not saying that he's responsible for anything that you know or everything that Benny plays or that Annika plays, but. He's much more influential than people have given him any credit for just because he's – honestly, he's one of those – he's very Todd Zuckerman. Like he's too busy to promote himself. He's, yeah. he's got a huge gig, you know, and so you, he, he can't spend all of his time on social media showing you what he's done. But he's, he's quite a beast. So um, definitely when you see those articles that he's writing for MD, dig into those things because – He's giving you some brilliance. The other thing is, the last thing I'll let you guys know is definitely check out his book. It's called The Groove Book. And uh, I've, I've worked out of it quite a bit, and I really love that book. And really what, what The Groove Book is, it's, not, it's nothing like my Groove Freedom book, and it's nothing like Benny's new DVD, The Art and Science of Groove. What it is, it's almost like an orchestration book. It's a book where there's this groove that's kind of set in stone that maybe you're familiar with, a paradiddle groove. But then he's slowly orchestrating it just one note at a time in different places on the kit and opening your mind to what it would be like just to move one of your limbs at a certain point in time and how the groove can be completely changed through those orchestrations. So that's just called The Groove Book by Yost Nickel. Definitely check that out. It is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Let's get into some candy, buddy. Gear review time. So Bone is out of where? Slovenia? Czechoslovakia? Czechoslovenia? Slovenia. All right, I was even I was in the ballpark. I feel good. Um, so you got to check out the Essence Kit, which is a maple kit, and this is kind of a more affordable line for them. Yeah, well, I mean, they're being based out of Slovenia. They they have access to a lot of materials over there that we don't have in the West. But at the same okay. time, it makes it difficult for them to ship uh, to the U.S. and stuff. So it's got it. 
So a lot of the expense of their their custom shop stuff is just getting the drums to the customers. More, you know. Okay. Um, so this is just their version of a, a more manageable. So they just brought the price down on the, like the hardware. I think is is slightly different. Um, they're not off. It's not a full customized kit. So basically, you get like this configuration or, or that configuration. It's like a shell pack. Um, but they put they've always put some cool looking outer veneers on it so this one has like yeah. a really funky it's a bird's eye maple but it doesn't, doesn't i've look never like seen bird's eye look like that at all yeah it's it's kind of crazy it looks like it's like straight out of the woods like yeah no it's that's that's a veneer right there especially the one that's on the bass drum that's a veneer that i could see dw using for a lot of things um yeah. it is it is gorgeous man um yeah, and it's sometimes wild. bird's eye maple and just maple in general can be a little too light for me but with those dark stripes that's going through the the grain it it really sets this thing apart man it's it's pretty cool so you had uh 10 by 7 12 by 8 16 by 16 and 22 by 18 yeah so it was very kind of contemporary type uh configuration and and their thing is kind of big chunky stuff so their their badge is really big and chunky and they they put extra deep front hoops on their bass drums so it's oh, all yeah. kind of that kind of edgy modern whatever whatever genre it fits into punk or or even r&b or funk or something but it's definitely not i mean i could definitely vintage. see this kit yeah i could see this kit on the you know the vans warp tour or something like that yeah that or or out with with beyonce or something right got yeah kind of very modern yeah, and it had that kind of a sound, so it was real. Uh, they put Evans um, two ply batters, clear two ply batters on it, so it has that really kind of fat, articulate tom sound. They were they were really fast, like they really spoke really fast. Uh, the bass drum had, um, I think it was their EQ three, so it's a two ply batter with a like a plastic muffling ring plus uh, another muffling ring that you can remove. Got it. And the bass drum sounded awesome with nothing inside of it, which is and really so the rare. bass, yeah, yeah, and the bass drum's two plies thicker than the rest of the kit, right? Bass drum's nine ply. Yep, yep. And the toms are seven. They didn't come with a snare, so it's just and I, toms. Okay, and I can't really tell from all the pictures, but is this? It looks like it's a matte finish, not a lacquer finish. Yeah, correct. Yeah, cool. So it's pretty. It's natural maple, but the maple is just so striking that it kind of stands out. On beautiful its own. kit, really beautiful kit. So, yeah. um. Yeah, and then um, I, I I rail on companies for the negative of this, so I might as well. I need to at least point it out when it's positive. They have a great website. <laughs> it's a very modern website, yeah. Um, they actually hired a photographer to do the photo shoot for the drums, so the drums are gorgeous and well shot. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a modern website. So kudos yeah. to you, Bone. Yeah, now, met, have you met the people? Have they been to NAM? Have you met these people? Yeah, that's funny. I was just about to say that. I met them at NAM a couple years ago, and... It just, just talking to the guys, you can tell. Okay, they're it, that Eastern European, no BS, straight to the point. But they know what they're talking about. So it was, it was nice to just kind of talk drums with them. And you know, they're not trying to. I mean, yeah, their drums are kind of visually striking, but they're not just going for that. Like it's, right. they're they're going for really good sound first and foremost. And then why not try some crazy looking finishes as well? Cool. Um, so really, really cool guys. Um, yeah, it's. Eastern European, like just 
cut to the chase. Here's what I'm, <laughs> here's what I'm looking to do, and I would yeah. love if you could help me out with that. But it was a lot of fun. So they're good. They're good drums. Good people. I I don't know how available they are in the U.S. yet, but I don't think they're going going away anytime soon because they they're they're on their like tenth or eleventh year already. So wow, that's good, man. That's good to hear. Awesome. Yeah. I love. I love when the boutique companies have a little bit more longevity. So, all right, well, let's give these things a listen. Those drums sounded fat. <laughs> you know I don't get to hear them till tomorrow, but I'm just going to assume they sounded fat. Uh, oh, what was we going to? You were going to listen to something last week, and then oh, did you check out a uh, uh, white denim? No, oh, I almost I died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> Influenza type A. That was, that's not the flu. It's even bigger. Uh, no, I will check out White Denim. I yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't bother. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I take your recommendations seriously, Mike. Yeah, don't promise. worry about it. They, it's all good. You know, you're going to hate them. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, honestly, they're probably too advanced for me. I probably won't be able to handle it. It's no big deal. It's all good. All right. All listen right. questions. Let's get to the questions. What do we got? Okay, so the first one comes in from Blake. This is a this is a pretty interesting one. So he recently picked up a bunch of singer songwriter dates. Most of okay. them are trio, um, and he's having a hard time telling the difference between the minimalism inherent to a trio outfit and legitimate sparsity and empty space. So how can I tell what I'm fitting in appropriately and when the song or when the song is too empty? So he's looking for tips on playing with a trio and how to know if he's playing enough or not enough. So. Well, Blake, first, congratulations on your vernacular. That was fantastic. <laughs> Great usage of vocabulary in sparsity. Sparse. Yeah, I just honestly, Blake, I just like on Skype watching Mike stare at the page, <laughs> trying to figure out how to say these words out loud. That's all. Um, so, if, quite, listeners, if you want to keep throwing in some huge vocabulary words, Mike's the one that has to read them, so it's uh, fun for me. Uh, so, you actually do this gig. So, why don't you talk about it? Yeah. So, my first instinct is to say we're drummers we'd like to play a lot of notes so chances are you're never going to play sparse enough chances are i mean there's going to be times when just shaking a shaker for four and a half minutes is all that you need to do Um, so i would not worry about being too minimal Um, the only time i would think maybe it's you're not filling it enough is if there's just literally just blank space in the music then maybe that's you should think about filling it in but I almost always tend to edit out notes because uh, our first instinct is to get all of our limbs going and we should do a shaker in one hand and play the cajon with one hand. I got to have a bass drum pedal and then a hi-hat and put, put a tambourine on it. So then all of a sudden you're like playing like six different parts. Right. Really yeah. all the song needs is just a tambourine on beat four every other measure. 
Right. You know? Yeah. So, sure. <clears throat> the other thing too is, I mean, you, it, it never gets brought up, but you are allowed to ask the singer songwriter themselves, "What are you feeling?" You know, yeah. um, they're the ones that wrote the song. They probably have something in mind. And just let them know, like, I can go as far out as you want me to go or I can be as sparse as you want me to be. But I want to make this song work for you. I want this to be the vision that you had in your head the day you sat down on the piano or with an acoustic guitar and wrote it. So please don't feel that you're stepping over the drummer line by telling me what you wish from the drum set. I'm more than happy to accommodate you. Yeah, and my setup is usually a combination of of a lot of different instruments. So I have like a, a small bass drum. Usually, I'll, sometimes I'll sit on a cajon. I'll have a djembe, maybe where the snare drum's supposed to be. I'll have congas, maybe where the toms are usually. And I'll have a, a snare drum to the left of the hi hat. And I'll have a hi hat. And I'll have like a crash ride. But that doesn't mean I got to play all that stuff. So no, one, they're just options. So one song I might only play the djembe. One song I might only play the cajon. One song I might go from the djembe to the congas in different sections of the songs. Or one song I might just play a groove on the hi hat, kick, and snare. So yeah. that that format for me is it makes it open to a lot of a wide palette, but never I'm never thinking about how much more can I do. It's always just what is the what's the one sound that's going to work, or what's to change it up. So maybe I did a lot of full on like kick snare hat grooves for like two or three songs in a row. So the next song I'll just play a shaker, awesome, like just something to just break it up. I mean, there's like you said, yeah. there's no there's no rules, and and I, I've not run across too many singer songwriters who are too shy about telling you hey let me let yeah. me do this one by myself or you know or yeah whatever. no for sure so just Absolutely. have that conversation the the biggest thing is just just have the communication stay out of the just don't you, you need to find your your space so right and and don't be afraid of of playing too little i just don't think it's possible i don't think drummers can play too little right <laughs> now if I, you're a trained percussionist their tendency is to be more sparse but as a drum set right. player our tendency is just to keep every limb moving at whatever subdivision is the fastest that we can do. Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, Phil Collins was always asked, why do you use drum machines when you're a drummer? And he said, because they're relentless. And I, I honestly can't play that that minimalistic. I can't play that stuff. So if I program it and press play, the drum machine has no option. It'll just do it. But as a drummer, I, I can't do that. So that's why the intro of In the Air Tonight is three and a half minutes of a drum machine loop. He's like, that's... There's no way I could play that. I would get so bored doing that. Right. So you're right. I mean, it's very hard for us to do that. But I, I think the other thing, too, is singer-songwriter stuff. Um, I worked with a fantastic singer-songwriter named Wayman Boone for a long time. And, you know, pop music, in a, you know, Western music, it's repetitive. So it might be a thing where it only needed shaker for the first verse and the first chorus. But then we d- had to do that part again, and we needed to step it up. So now it's shaker with a slight kick drum pattern and then yeah. we after the bridge we had to go do that chorus a third time so now i brought in backbeat on two and four and you know that way the song is elevating even though the singer songwriter is doing the same part technically three times in a row so right all righty next cool next question comes from simon he is has a question about video recording um, okay well audio and video so he doesn't have any drum mics or any recording software but he has a zoom q3 hd that records both audio and video that's um that's like an older unit from a few years i had back. that i had that exact one so i know exactly what he's talking yeah, about yeah so he's looking to upgrade he's wondering what we would recommend he's wondering if he can get away with something other than drum mics um, or should he just spend money and get some decent mics and a camera how many mics would be enough what do i need other than the mics recording software and cables? so 
do you want me to do my piece and then you can say your piece? Or? Yeah, go for it, man. Uh, the two things that I thought of was that Q3 HD probably records pretty decent audio, but the video probably stinks. If it I does. recall, that's it that's does. an older unit. So it's I bet if you have an iPhone, that your iPhone video is better than the Q3. It's it wouldn't even be comparable. The iPhone would would kill it. Yeah. So what I would say is is if you have an iPhone or a, a smartphone with a good video camera, use that for your video. Use the zoom for the audio, and then you can sync it up. Even if you just have iMovie on your phone, you can you can drop in the audio and and sync it up. That'd be one option. So you don't have to buy anything new. Because um, I know that the Zoom audio is always pretty good. It's pretty true. Yeah, pretty it's honest. it's decent. You know, um, it's it's just exactly. But they also put out the Q8, which is a that's a camcorder with I think it's a stereo condenser built in, but it also has two inputs where you can hook up two microphones of your own. Yep. So I checked that out a while ago. Again, the video isn't isn't super awesome, but it's it's definitely going to be an improvement from the Q3. But the fact that you can now plug in a bass drum and a snare drum mic and then use the condenser on the camera as your kind of room slash overhead, you're going to get a great audio recording. Yeah. So I would look into that, and you don't have to worry about you know, mixing it in software or whatever. It'll just render it all as one item, as one video with the audio into it. So those would be my two suggestions if you don't want to get into like full-on video and full-on studio setups. Yeah, <clears throat> and I, I honestly agree with all that. I mean, the Zoom Q8, you're looking between 350 and 400 dollars depending on what website you get it on um it's got a fast lens on it it's got an f 2.0 um so and it's it's pretty wide a 16 millimeter lens it depends on the sensor um if you have a full frame sensor a 16 mil lens that's damn near fisheye that's a huge lens but i'm assuming this is a cropped sensor so you're kind of looking at about a 25 millimeter lens, um, which is a little bit further away than your eye would show you. So you're, you're going to get a decent wide lens out of this. And the, the video quality at um, 230.04 by 1296, I mean, that's, that's slightly better than HD than uh, 1980 by 1020 or 1920 by 1080, excuse me. So I think it's pretty cool. And I, I guess the only thing you would have to worry about on plugging in the XLRs is if there's any phasing issues between a close mic kick and then having this thing maybe, say, 10 feet away from the, the, the drum set. Um, and we would just have to test to find out. So I think I think this is a great answer for a lot of people. But I, I'm with Mike. I mean, it's pretty hard to find a better camera right now for people that don't want to get into lenses and camera bodies than what you're smartphone is already doing it's they're just really good in low light situations already and it's very clear video so i think that's a place to go i mean the other step would be get a 4k gopro and get one large diaphragm condenser mic and get a two channel interface and just start there but then you're getting into stuff so i think really what you have to figure out for yourself is what is your goal do you want to slowly start learning how to record your drums and start getting into mixing your drums? Or do you just wish you could capture your practices? If you want to just capture your practices, I think the Zoom Q8 is probably a great idea. Um, you just take the footage out of it and you're done. So Yeah, and I would think uh, even with that, it's probably better to invest in the light kit, which I've just discovered. Lighting yes. makes all the freaking difference. So That's, even with your Q3, if you have the good lighting, it's going to just look so much better. It really will, especially the Q3 is is probably. I mean, like I said, I had it. I'm, dude, 
you have you should see my drunk door. I have <laughs> every. Do you remember the flip cameras? I had little, one. It worked for like six months and then just yeah. stopped. Yeah, that's why I have three of them. Because every six months it broke and I bought a new one. Because I was like, oh, now they have the Flip HD. So, you know, um, I have all that stuff. I have everything from GoPro 1 up to the newest GoPro. I have the Zoom Q3 HD, which was not HD at all. So, um, yeah, so lighting is – those are all very poor, low-light cameras. Light is a, is a huge deal. So, um, so yeah, there you go. And if you ever need a, just a set of good softbox lights that you don't have to fiddle with, just go to Amazon. There's a couple companies like Cowboy Studio. I'm using uh, I'm using uh, Profoto boxes. Those are a little bit more expensive. But honestly, you're just looking for something that has maybe four bulbs in it, and they're um, fluorescent bulbs, and they're just called soft boxes. So go to Amazon and type in video lighting kit and you will find a full-blown kit for probably under 250 bucks and it would change everything about your videos all right next question all right this is the last one so this comes from scott sparks he uh, yeah. he says we've maybe we've broached the topic but i don't actually i don't think we have so he wants us to discuss tr- traditional versus match grips so he personally Ooh. feels more at home with traditional but he obviously can move around the kit better when he plays with match. So he tends to switch them out when it suits him or the song. So he's wondering what our thoughts on this is. Uh, pretty much where he ended up is, uh, is kind of how I feel, which is that, you know, whatever works best. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a desired result guy. Like mm. I'm assuming someday I will hear you on an album. How the hell would I know what your technique was? Yeah. It either sounds good or it doesn't. So whatever makes you feel more comfortable is fine. I think the I think the traditional versus matched is more of a thing for when you're starting somebody from scratch and you're yeah. trying to decide like how am I going to teach you from scratch? And right now it doesn't make a lot of sense in modern drum set playing to start somebody out traditional grip. Uh, I know for me the only reason I had to learn traditional grip is we actually got marked down points in our jazz band competitions at Golden Empire and stuff. If the drummer didn't hold the sticks in traditional grip, uh, that's part of the, weird. Yeah, it was part of the visual aspect of the grading, and oh, so man. so I had to learn traditional grip just so I looked jazzy. That's <laughs> and, so uh, strange and lame. Strange <laughs> and lame. Welcome to Sacramento, California. <laughs> we didn't all grow up in the capital of art, you asshat. <laughs> Wait, why am I mad at you? It's not your fault. <laughs> I think I just detected a tone of like West Coast hate from you, and I just came blazing. I'm so sorry about no, that. No, actually, my my instincts went straight to that guy. Probably those judges probably came from the drum corps world, where it's yes. where literally drum corps are degraded for not playing match grip on the snare. Same drums. thing. Yep. I think yep. I think Santa Clara Vanguard might have tried to go matched one year, and they got beat the crap out of it. I mean, they got really? annihilated because they switched to match grip, and they just broke with the tradition. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of silly. I mean, I I think that now if I'm using traditional grip, it's actually just a mindset thing. I know that my chops and my drumming is going down quite a bit, but there's this mindset of like there's a million visual images that flood your head of great jazz drummers holding their sticks that way. So if I am playing a jazz gig for whatever reason, when I hold my sticks that way, I do feel a little more kind of in the right mood but that being said when it when uh the piano player is like all right we're going to trade fours i immediately flip to uh, <laughs> to match script it's like so now i i've seen you kind of play both ways are, are you did you grow up one way or the other i started out matched and i 
for whatever reason, I got interested in traditional group in sixth grade, and it was when I started playing with the big band. So it, okay. there was nothing that no one really told me that I should do that, but it was just something about that style and that vocabulary because big band drumming is very right-hand oriented. So you're you're kind of always in that position of the left hand's on the snare drum and the right hand does all the moving. So it just, for some reason, well, it does. It feels better. It feels more comfortable because your, your elbow is relaxed at your side playing traditional grip you're not you don't have your elbow out and it just kind of demands that you be more right hand lead driven in that style so mm-hmm. i just started playing that way in sixth grade and just kind of struggled with it for years and and didn't get to the point where i felt comfortable with it until high school but then i didn't really uh, i didn't really start practicing the technique of it until i got to college and i was taking lessons with drum corps guys so it was like if we're going to do an indoor drum line at at the college everyone has to learn traditional grip so i got like deep deep into the the minutia of traditional grip technique in college um so now it's to the point where i i feel like i'm fluent in both i feel like i could do any gig with either one okay i just maybe not like hard rock i wouldn't play traditional sure. just just by the nature of it not being as strong of a stroke but um, I think it's just intuitive at this point for me. So it's kind of what feel do I want to generate? What's the genre? Um, I don't ever consciously say tonight I'm only going to play traditional grip or I'm only going to play match grip. It's okay. It's always just kind of intuitive. So I think it's just like in like a guitarist would grab a Stratocaster for one song and a Les Paul for another. They're just they're just different options for me. Right. They put me in a different mindset. Like I did a track last night that the guy said. Um, Give me something slinky, Steve Jordan style. Well, I just played traditional grip. I didn't even think about it, but it was still right. like a heavy groove. I wasn't playing light. I was still smacking the snare drum. But sure. I just went straight to that. I think Vinny, uh, Vinny and Todd Zuckerman are both great examples of people that play as hard as anyone you could ever imagine with traditional grip. Yeah. Um, so I think that I think it. I think where you are right now is exactly where Scott is, and he was probably just looking. I know Scotty came to camp. He's probably looking for a little validation that. He's not wasting his time, and um, it just comes down to that desired result. Are you getting the desired result you want? Um, I I would also, though, just kind of – I think it would be good for any drummer that was playing a combination of matched and traditional to sit down on their pad and run through some of their more basic rudiments and just find out, okay, comfort and BPM, where are you with both of these? And is one more – proficient for you than the other just so you know it about yourself like that way if there's this heavy section of the song is coming up with a ton of chops and it's kind of like you know what i'm gonna switch back to match to get through this because i know that i'm more proficient that way um so i've had some teachers kind of question the the reasoning for using both because it and i understand the logic where they'll say well why would you practice two grips with your weaker hand so you're only getting not only are you getting less repetitions because it's not your ride simple hand but you're getting less repetitions because you're changing grips i actually don't agree with that i think that you're moving your hand you're practicing whether you're moving it in a rotation or an up and down motion i think any repetitions are good and it also develops touch if you can switch between both and be comfortable to me that's having to be able to just a better touch with your left hand is is far better than be able to play 20 bpm faster because you only practice match grip i think exactly no i i agree and i, I think what's funny about art is 
it doesn't even matter what your opinion is because someone can prove you wrong. You know, someone will be yeah, like, right. I've only done matched my whole life. Let me just blaze your face off. Then somebody <laughs> else is like, I only play with a brush in my left hand and I'm louder than you. And it's like, yeah. okay, whatever. You win. How about I just get the desired result I'm looking for? And whatever it – I mean that's really the only time I change my students' techniques when they come to me is when I see something that I think is actually slowing them down or hurting their drumming or even possibly hurting them physically. But I don't have a, a proper technique for my students. It's like, hey, I, here's here's what I need you to do. I don't care how you get there. Just end at this place. I assume that you're a human being with different sized fingers than me. You're shorter than me. You play different sticks. You have different heads. You tune your... I mean, the things that Mark Giuliano does on his drum set, that's really hard to do on Bonham's kit. Yeah. A lot of his drumming is coming out of the fact that he plays a kit that's tuned a certain way. I played his kit at the clinic in Ireland, and my doubles were hella fast because <laughs> he's got trampolines for toms. Given Mark is incredible and can do anything he wants. We actually switched kits for the, uh, the clinic on the last night when we played our solo together. So Sput was on Mark's jazz kit. I'm on Sput's kit where I... Every drum that I hit, I was like, oh, I guess that's a snare drum, too. <laughs> and then uh, Mark's on my rock kit, so he can play anything he wants. But, the, you know, there's so many circumstances that come into it. So I think the desired result is the key. And, and Scott, just be as comfortable as possible. Comfort is going to add to your sound every time. Yeah, cool. Well, that's it for the listener questions. So send them in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Did you say you had a comment before we get to our picks of the week? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to. Uh, this is funny because, you know, we keep going back to Tyler, who was, you know, wondering if we <laughs> yes. would ever disagree. And there's two Tylers, and right? there's actually two Tylers. So there was a Tyler who sent me a Facebook message saying, just jokingly saying, you know, Johnson said he's better than you, or whatever, like right, something right. like that. So I, you know, I called him out on the show, but then I got an email from Tyler Les Prince saying, "Dude, I don't remember ever saying anything or sending you a message." <laughs> So, apologize to Tyler Lesperance, Lesperance, and the other Tyler. Thanks for screwing up the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and they're both students of Mike's lessons, so it's all my fault. Hey, yeah. Um, but no, they're both good, good people. And Tyler Lesperance was the one who initially was like, "Hey, dude, you guys just agree way too much." And yeah. then Tyler, is it Reichert? Maybe? Yes, and he actually bought one of the modern drummer snare drums. So <laughs> to make yeah. up for it, he's like, "Dude, I'm so sorry. Here's a thousand dollars." Well, they're both great people, and neither of them are trying to incite chaos between Mike and I. But it doesn't matter. No matter if your name's Tyler or not, you just can't come between the bromance, man. We we get a, we we agree on too many things, except for when he attacks the West Coast. Then apparently, I call him an asshat. I don't even know where that came from. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm ever going to move there. God, jeez. I thought you guys were nice with all your sunshine. You just come out with the name calling. Okay, so let's get to our picks of the week. What is your pick of the week this time, sir? All right, I'm going to, you can say, I'm going to give you the option behind door number one or behind door number two. So (laughs) bring it. Behind door number one is something that's not super cheap and behind door number two is something that's super cheap. So I want, I want the expensive stuff. I'm ready to drain my bank account. Let's (laughs) do this. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so I spent the weekend playing a buyer. F- actually, I played a buyer six and a half by fifteen steel snare drum. So, and and I absolutely love it. So, fifteen inch snare drums are are kind of changing in my world. Even though, ironically, I just talked about having a thirteen inch piccolo built right. for me. 
I guess I just like the extremes. Fourteens are just becoming vanilla for me. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's for children. Yeah. So you're, this, you're a man. <laughs> so this guy Jim Jim Byer is the sweetest guy. I'm super supportive. As soon as I told him I was using it, he was you know sharing the photo and he he bought the you know, the artist's name is Shane Gamble. He bought his album. I mean, super supportive. That's awesome. And the drums are are awesome. So they're made of steel, but he gets them coated with some sort of a texturized paint. Okay. That actually kind of mutes down the steel a little bit so it's like a great combination of powerful steel with just a little bit of control and it's 15 so you can get like the fattest sound ever okay so it it was great for the gigs um but what i want to actually do is drop in like the intro to one of the tracks i used this on and you'll hear this how this drum records no samples no nothing making it sound bigger than it is and just is the drum it's just out of this world fat so I got to give props to Jim Jim Beyer B E I E R. I think he's he's kind of bringing the 15s back. You're, you're That's seeing cool, a man. lot of companies coming out with 15s now. And I now, do you know kind of where this thing falls price range wise? I mean, I know it's a professional snare drum, so it's not going to be cheap, but yeah, but they're not super super high. So I think let me just I think they might be like in the 800 range. Okay. Um, let me see if I can find one. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. I'll find okay. out what the, what the cool. list price is. But yeah, I just I, I just got one of the recordings back from from Shane, and it's a rough mix. And the snare drum it sounds almost like it's got a, like a Def Leppard sample on it, and it's just really? straight from the microphones. It's it's wow. pretty crazy. So that's, that's my awesome, pick. man. That is very cool. Well, I definitely look forward to checking that out. Let's give it a listen. Alright, my pick of the week is an album that came out in 2015, but it is the newest album from the band The Deer Hunter. Don't make the mistake and buy the albums from... Well, you can buy the albums, but there's a band called Deer Hunter, D-E-E-R, Hunter, and then there's The Deer Hunter, D-E-A-R, and that's who I'm speaking of. How do they Um, legally get away with that? Dog, I don't know, but the reason why I brought it up is because a friend told me you need to check out the new Deer Hunter album, and I am a I'm a fan. Like I've been a fan of this band for a long time. When the Common Thread is out on tour, we always listen to a little bit of this, and I still made the mistake. I just was I was kind of on the go, looked down, I was like, oh, the nearest the newest Deer Hunter album, and I got the wrong band, and I was like, this this just ain't doing it for me. Like my friend said it would, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, anyways, it's uh, the the album is called Rebirth in Reprise, and it if you are a fan of great albums, finding great music is not hard to do right now. I think there are so many amazing human beings creating great art that finding great music is not hard for me at all. Finding a great album is almost impossible. Impossible mm. music is just not recorded this way anymore. This is. I would. I really want to dig into how this was made because I just don't see how an, a, a band without massive label support could do this. But it's full symphony. It's it's Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. Oh, nice. It's Silverchair, Diorama. This is one of the greatest albums I've ever heard, top to bottom. And right around track six, track seven, you're like, okay, you're out of you're out of juice. You, the, you've done all you can do. It keeps going and going and going, <laughs> and it is. It's there's a lot of it that's very vaudeville. Uh, you feel like you're kind of watching a play, and then there's good rock stuff. But definitely check it out. It's called Rebirth and Reprise by The Deer Hunter, D-E-A-R. 
drummer Nick Crescenzo. I was talking to a friend, the one that recommended it, and I was telling her how incredible it must be for a band meeting to be like when the singer songwriter, the uh, in this case the lead singer, says, "Okay, these are the songs, and on three of the songs you're going to have to have a." A tacit. You're going to rest for 400 bars, and then you're going to hit a crash cymbal. <laughs> you're the rock drummer. You're like I'm, I was like, you don't understand what kind of fights this would cause unless oh, yeah. everyone is on board for the vision. That is not an easy thing to to work out because this isn't a singer songwriter. This is, I mean, it is, but this is a band. There's yeah. Yeah. these people want their time, you know, and uh, yeah. So definitely check it out, uh, Mike. I will. I'm going to purchase it for you on iTunes today and send it to you as a gift because I really think you'll Sweet. enjoy it a lot. And uh, especially for those of you out there that are fans of production, that are fans of Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys or Spilt Milk by Jellyfish, this is one of those albums where it's like, wow, that's an album. And we, we just don't have enough of these anymore. And then hopefully uh, we can dig into this stuff a little more and you and I can cover uh, feature Nick Crescenzo the drummer at some point in the future yeah cool i'll look forward to checking it out so i i just searched forks drums closet and the buyer the exact drum that i was talking about six and a half by 15 buyer steel is only 5.95 holy crap yeah uh it was until i just ordered it (laughs) click all right everybody thank you so much for digging into the podcast it means the world to us mike and i are having a blast doing it after 46 episodes we are uh, we're just having more and more fun each time. So thank you guys so much. If you get a chance, please go give us a favorable review on iTunes. As of the last couple of weeks, Mike and I are actually reading those reviews right. and yeah. the things you guys are saying. It's just it just means the world to us. So everybody, have a great day, Mike. I will see you next week, buddy. See you later. Peace. <laughs>